You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Welcome back to the School of Reinvention podcast. My name is Roger Osorio. I am your host. I'm also the founder of the School of Reinvention. I'm a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm incredibly excited for today's episode. I get to speak with Mike O'Connor, who is a college dean turned career and executive coach. He is also a higher ed consultant. Mike has helped thousands of students build lives aligned with their purposes. He's worked full-time jobs. He's launched side hustles and helped hundreds of the best organizations on the planet source talent. So clearly my kind of guy, he's lived and he is currently walking his own journey to reinvention. Thank you so much for taking some time to be here with us. I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have. We already had a great prep call, so I know there's so many cool stories that are going to be incredibly applicable to people listening to the show and help them navigate their own journey to reinvention. Tell us a little bit about your current organization, and then from there, we'll dive into some of the stories that we talked about earlier. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Roger. It's great to be, it's great to be with you and, and appreciate the work that you're, that you're doing in the, in the space here. But yeah, my uh, my organization helps uh, essentially sort of coaching. We're helping people sort of reinvent their their life, figure out sort of side hustles, figure out the things that they want to do, or sort of position themselves to better sort of execute and do the things that they want to do that align with their long term goals. Sort of in a nutshell, like my goal as a coach is to help sort of people figure out that sort of like life mission or those sort of big things, and then start to kind of piece together and reverse engineer. What steps are you taking right now and what's in alignment with your long-term goals and what's not and help them sort of actualize that? Yeah. And I think like, you know, when I think about your career and just what you were doing before that, working in the higher ed space, you've just had that exposure to students. So you really know what it's like, what they're going through in that moment when they're really like having to figure out like, okay, what? what's my purpose? What do I want to do for a career? So I think that, you know, that uniquely positioned you. That said, a lot of times people could easily say, oh no, like I I can never become an executive coach or a career coach. Like, you know, I've been doing this job in higher ed. Like that's so far away from what I was doing. And yet like you found the way you found like, Hey, there's something I learned here that I can bring to the next party. Totally. It's, it's so transferable. And I think that the really sort of fun thing about the work right now is like versus like working with like 18 to 22 year olds who are like incredible. Right. And they've got the whole world in front of them and they're trying to sort of like figure out how do I take all these sort of interesting ideas and things that I have and apply them. The really cool thing about the work now is it gets like way more layered, right? Like when you're working with people that are like 25 to 45, you've got partners that are in the mix. You've got children that are either on the way sometimes or, or potentially sort of coming. And you've got these years of experience that have hardened you in some ways um, and also sort of, I think, like given you some real sort of experience and insight into the things that you like, the things you don't like. So the puzzle becomes like so much more complicated, right? You're bringing finances into the mix. You're bringing like all these sort of other sort of like intricacies like into the sort of existing thing. And you're trying to sort of figure out what am I doing to sort of build this well-lived life? 
kind of like we talked a little bit about in the pre-call or like I've heard some of your guests speak on, it's so like holistic and interwoven <laughs> and interconnected, right? That it becomes a really sort of complicated puzzle. So I think for me, the fun part is taking all these different themes and, and skills that I've sort of learned through helping sort of 18 and 22 year olds and, and also sort of working while I was doing that with older um, you know, people that are sort of more in my demographic and applying them to uh, to like to more complicated puzzles really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said about this, you know, there there are more variables as we get older in our lives. There's more moving parts, you know, to to what it means to live a life that is aligned with our values, passion and purpose. All of a sudden there are a lot more things there. And yeah, that gets that gets more complicated, also more exciting, right? You know, it's more fulfilling because there are other really important things in our lives that we've obviously chosen to bring into our lives. And so I think that that's uh, what makes the challenge exciting. But nevertheless, like it, it's it's a journey. It requires a little bit of support, you know, and having the right people to help you, such as a career coach, an executive coach, someone who can guide you through that, help you make those decisions in a way that's incredibly aligned with you to make sure that you're not just perhaps following what the crowd is doing or just doing what other people are telling you to do, but you're you know, stopping for a moment to reflect, to make sure. And the work you're doing there with your clients and young people, I think is incredibly powerful. Tell us a little bit about the actualized self. I think for me, and I'll, I'll try to sort of keep it, keep it short, but, uh, you know, I, I had this great, the good fortune of working like at a really, really great college out East. It was there for about five and a half years, working with some like really incredible young people, some great organizations. And felt pretty good about the work that I was doing on a, on a daily basis. But at the same time, was sort of in this sort of career position where I was like, you know, I'm doing a lot of the work of somebody that's one level up. And, and I know that I have sort of skills and abilities and all of that to, to sort of direct, to do more leadership and to do all these different things. So I started sort of competing for different jobs that were at that next level. Um, and getting some pretty good feedback, but wasn't really sort of finding that, you know, that to that perfect fit. Um, but kept on that on that process, and I actually ended up getting recruited for the, the job that I was like really sort of like working and building for for a long time, which is essentially sort of an executive dean position where we currently live. And to me, it was just like it was the, the timing was not perfect. Our daughter was, uh, I think, when I interviewed, twelve days old. Our second daughter the interview wasn't confirmed till the day before, so I was like running back and like literally like kissed my wife and two kids goodbye and like hopped on a plane barely caught it barely caught the transfer it was like this very dramatic thing to sort of get there and then 13 hours of interviewing later like i knew i was in a pretty good position before we knew it we were moving to wisconsin we were moving across the country so you know it was a pretty big i think reinvention to sort of do that and about 10 months into the job you know, my team is doing like incredibly well. We're ahead on our on our KPIs, like our, our key performance indicators. We're raising a good amount of money. We're we're doing all these sort of internships and helping a lot of students. And I felt pretty good about that. And then the pandemic hits. And I felt really good about the work that we were doing in terms of like I've you know, I've got this great team, but I noticed people, especially like a couple months into the pandemic, everybody's energy was just like a little bit different and a little bit off, right? Including, including my own. And increasingly, I found that because I was, I think, like fairly sort of tech forward and I think brought a different skill set than most people at my level in the organization, I felt like I was getting leaned on a lot more 
um, which was definitely happening and was okay. And I wanted that, right? And I was like, okay, this is great. It's putting us in this sort of position to sort of do more and have more influence and this is what we want. But it, it kind of just kept snowballing. And over time, after about 13 months of like really long days and, you know, trading on and off with my wife and going through just some personal stuff where, you know, my mom was dying. Uh, I had all this guilt because I was in Wisconsin, she's in Delaware, and I just wasn't, you know, wasn't there for her. I'm going back and forth when I can, but, you know, ultimately just not the same as really sort of being there. And even being there is not the same because they've got all these COVID protocols, et cetera, et cetera. That's happening. We've got other family members that are, you know, that are passing away. And then, you know, inside the home, our daughter, our youngest daughter, was just on an iPad more than she should be. We noticed these sort of developmental kind of delays, like these things that were just like very much, I think, uh, an effect of overconsumption of technology in an age where, you know, she really sort of needs this interactivity and this sort of, you know, this one-on-one attention. And I just like, I, I started to really sort of ask myself, like, is this, is this worth it? And you know, I'm, I'm optimizing for salary and professional growth and all of these things. But in terms of my own growth, I'm really busy, super busy, but I'm not actually growing. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sort of stepping into myself. I, I don't really sort of feel challenged other than the leadership stuff and trying to sort of keep my team amped. Um, but also, I, I find myself in this like funny position in middle management where I'm, I'm consistently sort of like having to sort of share a narrative that I don't fully agree with. And it just didn't really sort of like feel like fully aligned. So I, I started to really sort of like ask, ask some sort of tough questions and do some more insight and start to sort of like build out ways to sort of like keep myself, like find the light within myself that if I was just like slowly dying, right? Like this, you know, the, the spark, the positivity, like all the things that I think like made me me. I felt we're just shrinking and just weren't weren't the same. So I started to really sort of like look, take a critical look at that and then start to do things that I was like, that I was funny enough, like had a certification teaching, like this life design kind of stuff. But I started really sort of like playing with this kind of stuff and, and making it my own. And when I was doing that, starting to kind of teach it to students more. So after about 13-ish months of like that slog of like, Kids are in the house, we're working constantly, we're doing the trade-off between my wife and I, who's also sort of working and all of that kind of stuff. One of our daughters is, is in daycare, um, and I'm finally able to take like a little bit more vacation and do like a little bit sort of more of the stuff. And I'm like, okay, the light's like starting to like go on a little bit. And the more I kept like doing that and sort of like following that path like a little bit, things like just sort of slowly and iteratively got, got a little bit better. We had a little bit more balance in life. We had a little bit sort of more breaks, um, you know, relationship, kid, like all the things started to sort of like slowly get better. But I still found myself sort of like with this sort of like gnawing question of, do I really like like what I'm, what I'm doing? Do I really like the work and do I believe in it? Increasingly, the answer was no. To make a very long story short, I had this incredible opportunity that came as a result of quitting. So I, um, I had the conversation with my boss. I just said, listen, Appreciate the work. I think we're, you know, I think that the promises that, not the promises, but the the assumptions that I made with this job or the things that we sort of dis, had discussed in terms of priorities of me coming here aren't coming to pass. I, I get that. You have all these other things that you're worried about. I think it's time for me to leave. He was great about it. He said, I, I totally get it. I ended up getting a call from the president of the 
um, of the university who I really liked a lot. She said, basically, to make a long story short, offered me a job working directly for her. And it was just one of those like dream opportunities. So you got the dream job, which was at a really difficult time in your life. And we'll dig into some of this in a moment. Then the job is not so dreamy anymore. And you decide, hey, look, this is not right for me. I, a lot has happened. This is, I, I got, I'm, bye, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then boom, you get this call. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. And I, I was sort of in this place where I was just like, I, I, I said no to her originally, where I was just like, you know, I, I really appreciate it. And then like the part of my brain was just like, what are you doing? Like, you're like, you've been like positioning yourself for this kind of thing for like a really long time. And you're going to learn so much more in this sort of space. And long story short, I ended up sort of accepting the job and learning a ton. Um, and then what I think was like some some really good work where essentially to make a long story short, I was doing a lot of data analysis of how can we um, sort of make sure that the investments that we're making as an institution are having better ROI for students. Um, I, I was building these different programs. I was helping sort of direct key hires. I was doing like lots of stuff that really sort of felt like I had a, a hand on the scale. But then I went through this other experience that I'll go into a little bit of depth about where essentially we were working on this holistic support program for first-year students to help with careers and help with all of these, um, you know, sort of making sense of mental health stuff and all this other stuff. And it's, to make a really long story short, our faculty voted down the initiative, you know, and it was just like months of work that were like, for me, were just like down the drain. And these things happen, like, you know, everybody, I think everybody, if you're, if you're working in the sort of space where things are completely out of your control to some degree, at some point in your higher ed career, like that's going to happen where things get voted down or whatever. But like, for me, I was just like, okay, I've spent months working on this. I've had like days of my life. I'm not going to get back because of things that are like totally outside of my control. And it really bugs me. <laughs> You know, and it bugged me from the standpoint of like this was something I, I, I totally believed and felt was going to be good for our people and good for the people that we're serving and was going to sort of help and do all of these things. And the fact that I just didn't have the autonomy to direct that, this doesn't feel like the right fit. And and there were some other things too where I was just like, okay, you know, I'm I'm at this sort of point where it's just like I did a lot of growing. For me, you know, autonomy and growth are two of the most sort of critical values and things that I sort of value so much. And I'm like, you know, I, I've gotten to this point where I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to sort of accentuate or, or build on these values anymore. It's time to go. And then I started this sort of journey again of, you know, of reinvention of like, let me sort of really figure out what I, what I want to do. And found myself sort of in this position of testing essentially two markets. Um, one being, you know, like, can I do this sort of essentially coaching that I was doing and helping direct to some degree? Can I do this for an older population that I'm, that I'm passionate about that I, I feel like I can really sort of uniquely help? Can I do that? And then can I also sort of test this higher ed consulting? So I started on the path of, of iteration and, and falling on my face. And, uh, and then, yeah, here, here I am now. And um, it's, it's been going pretty well. When you talked about the, the very first job, the one that, you know, you, your daughter, right, was super young and you needed to, you know, fly to an interview and that's what led to the move. You're in this dream job. First of all, how long were you in that dream job? I was in that dream job for a little under three years. 
So then you're you're in it for three years. You know, you 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 started touching a little bit of what led to you realizing, wait, this job is not so dreamy anymore. Like this is not the life I ordered. <laughs> what were some of those key things that really signaled to you from the job perspective? Because you mentioned one important one on the family side, which was that your your daughter was on the iPad too much. And that, that's a big one when it comes to the family side. On the job side, what would you say were the top like maybe two things that really signaled this is not the life I ordered? This is not the job I ordered? For me, that happened on literally my first day where you know I spent a lot of time with the people that I was going to sort of work directly with and, and manage. And during the course of my like 13 hour interview, there was this one subgroup of people um, that I knew I'd be sort of like tangentially working with, or, or I, I should say not even tangentially, that I would be working with. And I was at the first meeting where there wasn't a senior person there. And the conversation was just very, very negative. And they were talking very directly about people that weren't in the room. And then when said person was in the room, it just stopped. And, you know, it was to a degree that like that just wouldn't fly where I was prior, you know, and I think for, for good reason. Right. And the, there were some just elements of sort of like toxic work culture, sort of toxicity or whatever. on literally my first day and nobody was muting like themselves with me. So to me, it's just like, what what is like going through? Like I, I was just I was really sort of like taken back a bit, being like, wow, wow, this is just okay here, right? <laughs> and so I think for me, that was like, I, like right from the beginning, I knew like this was going to be a really sort of like layered, layered thing. But I think like I, I was able to sort of like work with that or sort of work against it. And for a long time, was able to just kind of compartmentalize, okay, what's in my control and what's not? And, and how do I sort of slowly win these rooms that I'm in and build sort of allegiances and, and like and and shine the light on the positive and like empower people and you know do the things that I know will just sort of like add value. And I really kept my focus there for like for a long, long time. And I think for me what the the pieces that started to change and you know I was showing the example about Ilo, it was like it was when it essentially like the the, the personal and the professional just kind of became a lot sort of like it's like you can you can be the bright light, but at some point it's like, you know, you you gotta really sort of like recharge and take care of yourself. And when I felt like things were closing in a little bit more than I wanted to, and it wasn't and I just wasn't like feeling like I was like growing and and sort of supporting and honoring the commitments outside of work to the degree that I wanted, I was like, you know, it's really time to take a to take a look at this and and start to assess. How can you start to do things sort of better or go in a different direction? And along the way, I did these like many things that helped, right? Where I was just like, okay, I'm going to start writing again and put some of that online or, or do whatever. Or, you know, I'm going to sort of like lean into like, I've, I've got these friends that are sort of having these challenges and I'm going to like, I'm going to coach them and like, I'm going to build this like, or I'm going to do this, like these small leadership programs sort of in-house that, that are going to sort of so like, or I'm going to build this like life design course. So I was able to find like the small little like lifelines to like reconnect the light and start to kind of build a path. But it was, I think for me, it was really those like walls starting to feel like they were closing in a little bit that told me. That's, that's super powerful right there. What you just shared. That's why I was asking how long you were in that first job, because it wasn't all great. And, and what you just said, you, you actually kind of figured it out at the beginning. You figured out something was a little off here. 
but of course, like, look, we're human, right? You know, you get into a dream job and all of a sudden you come across this, like, you don't want to believe that this is the thing that it, like, I, I can't quit off of this. Like, no, this is still my dream job. So maybe I just got to weather this storm or maybe I just got to navigate the situation. It'll get better. And of course, we're going to like convince ourselves that this could be better, that maybe it's not what we thought it was the first time or whatever. And so I can totally appreciate that because you want this to work. And so you're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. But then, of course, you're going through it and you're probably noticing, OK, this pattern's not changing so much. <laughs> it's like it's still there. It, it didn't go away. It wasn't just like a one time thing or anything like that. But you mentioned something really important. You started engaging in what I'm hearing were essentially small projects. You started writing again. You started coaching some friends. You started building some courses. You were engaging in activities, projects that brought you fulfillment. So you found a way to drive fulfillment into your life from another source. You tapped into other sources where you could get that fulfillment. Given it wasn't happening in the day job, you figured, let me get it in some other things. And I think that's a powerful strategy because it's something that I've done many times. I've experienced it personally, but I have heard the story many times where people have found these other outlets to get some of that fulfillment in their lives if they are not getting it from the primary like thing that they do for a living. That said, you know, and, you, and this is clearing your story, that doesn't work forever. You know, that might get you so far. It gets you to three years. You know, it gets you to a, a few years and you can go through that. But then at some point, using your words, the walls start closing in and you start to realize, OK, this is not just fulfillment at work. This is also fulfillment in my life with my family, with my daughter. And I don't want this to be how I'm a parent. I don't want to be that parent. And so you started to tell us a little bit. So let's shift to that side, the, the side outside of work now, because you and I had a little bit of that conversation during our prep call. And I thought it was super powerful about how you felt things were going as a parent and with your daughter and, you know, some of those challenges. You know, I felt that, you know, I think like uh, with, with parenting, you know, one thing that I've, I've learned and sort of experienced like with my, with my own daughters and then watching other parents and sort of talking with other parents about it is there nature and nurture are both like very real things. And they're so complicated. We could spend hours just talking about this, like one, one, you know, little topic. Right. But with my, with my daughter, Fiona, she's first born. I think she has this natural people pleaser kind of energy, super curious, like always sort of looking for the answer and wants to sort of learn, loves school, loves all these sort of different things. And, you know, and Isla um, is, I think the sort of traditional second child, right? And that she, she's rebellious, so like a little bit, like wants to test that authority, wants to sort of do these different things. And, and we saw some of these sort of traits, like, in, you know, like younger and, you know, for, for us, we, you know, we found ourselves in this sort of like really reactive position with COVID where, you know, with my wife, my wife is a psychologist. Um, and so she's doing telehealth and she has a certain number of calls a day. I'm being leaned on a lot at work. And, you know, it was just this sort of like trade on, trade off, trade on, trade on day after day after day. As I'm sort of like multitasking as a parent, I found myself in this sort of situation when she was like really particularly young about like she was actually sort of in front of an iPad. And that's not something we had really sort of like done before or like done in really sort of small doses. And it sort of became like the band-aid that grew. And before the band-aid, like the band-aid became a bandage and the bandage became this wraparound. Like it just kind of kept getting bigger. And, you know, and I don't remember like the exact time that I really sort of like that both of my wife and I were just like, okay, um, 
you know, like Isla's sort of speech or how she's talking or how she's sort of reacting to neighborhood kids. There was all these sort of confluence of things where really early in COVID, she had this instinct to run up and like hug our neighbors. And it was the cutest thing, right? Like the, the neighborhood girls all of a sudden couldn't hug her. And so it was this like funny confluence of like, of that just being stripped away from her. Like, hey, you can't do this anymore. Or like on the playground, you can't just run towards kids anymore. And just, she's like very confused. Like, what? Like, what? Why are you telling me that I can't do these things that I like, that I love combined with only sort of socialization with her sister and then, you know, less reading, less sort of interactivity, less of the sort of like the really sort of good developmental things that you want to do at that age. And we just noticed like, little things in terms of just speech, you know, especially or or sort of reactivity that, you know, we knew were just sort of not on par with what we saw with our with our other daughter. When we got her into daycare, we noticed that the path, the slope just started to get better, right? And that that these were things that were sort of addressable and fixable and, you know, special education and this early intervention stuff that we're so blessed to just have in our sort of community and people that are, I think, really aware of all these sort of like holistic measures and different things that could can sort of like early sort of intervene. So it just became something for us to sort of like work with and work around. But I think it was for us, it was like very much a, like we didn't notice it because it was so gradual and luckily we noticed some progress starting to happen. But I, I think as a parent, it was challenging because it was, it was very much sort of recognizing that like, Hey, you know, I, I own a piece of this and this is like, I'm responsible for why this has happened. Yeah, this takes me takes me back to something you said earlier, where you talked about, you know, as we get older, there are more moving parts in our lives, there are different variables now that are incredibly important, we've chosen to bring them into our lives, because they matter. And of course, you know, your daughter being one of the biggest ones that you'll ever bring in. And so you start to notice something's off here. And, And now it's not just the work that's off. And that you have to and yes, you found the band aid that served a little bit. But you, that's not forever. And with your daughter, you even found the Band-Aid of sorts, but you didn't agree with the Band-Aid. You know, the iPad was like, all right, technology, all that. This is not what I want. This is not what I want forever. This might have gotten us through a moment, but this will not work forever. I feel like similar in a way, in a way, the wall started closing in on you here, too. You started like, this is not right. Like, I, I something has to change here. And so luckily, you know, you were able to take action on that. All this together then you feel compelled to like, hey, something's got to change. And you, you go for that big change. This is where you start thinking about quitting that job. Tell us a little bit about the decision to quit, because this is something that I find when I talk to people, this is a tough one. I mean, and, and I've experienced this myself, like quitting is not something I take lightly. I know we've heard a lot about it in terms of like the great resignation and a lot of things and, and it's exciting and wow, it's so empowering and all of that. But it's not something that I take lightly because it's, you know, for, for many people, it's a hard decision to make for a variety of reasons, not just income. I'm actually starting to interview people for this because I want to understand like, what are some of the reasons why people feel they can't quit? So tell us a little bit about that journey to making that very difficult decision. Yeah, you know, it was it was really tough. It was a really tough decision. It was one that I struggled with more than I thought it would, if that makes sense, right? Like you can you could sort of very much sort of do the diagnostic of, hey, this isn't working out, or you know, you're looking at like if you've got a dashboard, right, of like how am I feeling? And like, what's, what's my mental health like? And what's my finances like? You can like look at these things and know that the data points are not going in the direction you want, but it's another thing to just like completely 
take this career that you've really sort of built your identity around and that you've got a good amount of fulfillment and, and just sort of just kind of say, yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Especially like for me, I was like, I, I saw myself all of a sudden on a path to becoming a college president, which was like, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't think I would be there at this age. And I was like, okay, I, I see the path now. And when I looked at the data, what really helped me, because I think I could be like a little bit overly analytical, I started to just sort of like do more, not just market research, but I started to like get really specific about the number. When I started to actually look at the finances of it, and I was, I was looking at like, okay, how much are we really sort of paying out of pocket for education? How much are we paying for entertainment? Like, and I went through everything. Um, we, you know, we had kept our costs low for, you know, for quite some time and just got in the habit of, of doing that. And when I really sort of dialed back the numbers, the big thing I had in my head and the narrative that I was running with was healthcare is going to be such an expense. Healthcare is just going to kick our butt. And like, how does anyone sort of pay out of pocket? And like these benefits that I have, they're not perfect, but oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm so fortunate with this job that's like paying me. And when I compared how much we'd actually pay for healthcare versus like the benefits I had, the dissonance like wasn't nearly as big as I thought it was. So like this whole narrative I had in my head around why I needed this full-time job to support my kids. When I actually like looked at the numbers of it, like, and, and I looked at it realistically, I was like, this is not nearly what I thought it was. And like the out-of-pocket cost that I have to incur to get the level of benefits that I have, it's more, but it's not nearly as much as I thought it would be. For me, it was just like this matter of like starting to kind of like take these baby steps about reaching out to a contact to set up an LLC, right? Like it was so much easier than I thought it would be. You know, I knew that there was going to be like a lot of challenges and a lot of hardships and all of that, but it was, it was helpful for me to just see the sort of initial steps being easier than I thought they would be. And just like the momentum of starting to kind of baby step the way forward, which is kind of like, okay, I see the escape hash now and I can, I can go for it. How empowering running the numbers, or I should say how clarifying running the numbers can be in this process. All of a sudden, when you have that clarity of what the reality is, like in numbers, you know, it sounds like for you, it was just a massive weight off your shoulders. You were like, this is empowering. Like this is a doable thing. What was I thinking before? And I totally hear you on what you were thinking, because I remember when I had quit my first corporate career, like way back when in 2008, when I told my boss at the time, first thing that he hits me with is like, oh, but this is not a good idea. And first thing he says, health insurance, what are you going to do? Like all this stuff. Now, mind you, I'm, how old was I at the time? 26, 27. I mean, what the hell was health insurance going to cost me at 26, 27? Nothing. I had no pre-existing conditions. I was blessed to not have any of the, you know, issues like that or any, you know, any medical issues like that. So, you know, but I hear you. Like, I mean, I, the story I was being told by that guy, like the, the story that life tells you, society tells you, I thought this is going to like really be difficult. And then I called to get some quotes and I realized that's it. Like, <laughs> that's not so bad. I can swing. I can swing that. I can pay for that every month. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it's not as fancy as my health insurance like that I had through my company. But man, how much of it was I even using? I literally just go to the doctor once a year for my checkup, maybe a, a little bit of blood work or whatever. And before you know it, you realize it's different. Of course, I think what's really special about your story and really important is that parents can then easily say, okay, 
that's nice for you. You were 26, 27. Of course, it's a lot easier when you're 26, 27. But you ran your numbers and with, you know, children factored in, you realized this is still doable. You know, this is still doable. You look at your whole situation and you find that this is doable. And I, I love what you said about the spreadsheet. And, you know, I, I've had my spreadsheet that I created back in 2008 when I made the decision. And I and I have like, I'm on version like probably 48 of that spreadsheet because I always improve it. Uh, maybe not quite 48, but I'm probably at least on version 20 of it. And that spreadsheet is like my key to when I'm feeling stressed. I realize most of that stress comes from the money, from like thinking about finances or not thinking about them for too long. And then I'm like, oh, what is it? And then, of course, the negative stories, the stories that are not really even grounded in fact start to step in. I go to back to that spreadsheet. I look at things. If something needs to be tweaked or adjusted, I tweak it or I adjust it. And I go, what was I worried about? Like, that's so doable. So I love that you shared that because I think that's incredibly important, especially for parents who are thinking about a major career pivot or a reinvention or starting their own business, whatever that might be. So, you know, now what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about, and, and this will be briefly because there's one thing I want to focus on is, you know, when you tried to quit that first time, then all of a sudden, you know, someone steps in and offers you an even dreamier job. And you're like, come on, like, what is going on here? I'm really trying to quit, guys. I don't think you understand what I'm trying to do. It was hard enough to get to this point where I'm having this conversation with you. And now you're like throwing in this, you know, curveball where now there's like an even better offer on the table. You took it um, because, you know, well, you know, you had your reasons why you took that. Tell us a little bit about what it felt like to accept that offer, like like literally that process of making that decision. And here's what I want to focus on specifically. You had just resolved that quitting is the right thing to do here for very, very valid reasons, both personal, uh, like in terms of like your career, your work and your family. And all of a sudden then this curveball is tossed in. And so there's a conflict, no doubt, you know, offer on the table. I had really good reasons for saying what I was for doing what I was going to do. And what do I do now? Can you take us through that? Because I feel like there are many people who get in this spot and then are not sure like how to do that. In fact, an interview that hasn't published yet, we touched we touch on the same thing. Something similar happened to this person right there. Like, oh, I had resolved to do something and now like a killer offer was made. What do I do here? I, I couldn't believe that this opportunity was sort of coming at me. And the funny thing was initially I said, no, um, I was just like, you know, I, I, I made this really hard decision. I'm sticking to it. And then there was a lot of sort of like emotion that went into it. And I came to this sort of place, just like you said, of like of feeling good about it and doing it. And then the curveball happened and it was hard for me to sort of pivot. Like as, as much as I like to think that I'm like flexible and adaptable and all of that, it was hard. It was like, I made this big decision. It was hard to pivot um, mentally. But when I really started to step back from it and like, and looked at it, I, I just started to really sort of ask myself, what's the downside? right? Like, what's, what's the downside of taking this job? You're about to quit a career that you've worked your entire professional life to build towards. You have this person that you really like, who's going to step into this mentoring role, and who brings all these sort of unique skills that you don't have, and you're going to work directly for her doing this important stuff. Why don't you try it? Like, why don't you, why don't you just kind of do it? When I really sort of stepped back from it and saw that, the thing I had in the back of my head that I promised myself I wouldn't let go of was you can always just leave. <laughs> like you, you can always like you you know the data points now, right? And you you know you know the costs, you know that you know the balance, you know the boundaries that you need to set. 
and you're going to sort of be in this sort of position. So like if you find yourself getting to the place where the walls are kind of closing in again, you can just leave. And, and, I, and, I, and I made that promise to myself and I sort of had that in the back of my head. So when I went through the, the process again, where it's just like, okay, this thing is getting voted down. I've spent a lot of time and energy um, and you know, there's, there's parts of the organization that I just can't change where, where I am and that are out of my control. I knew I was like, okay, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of back to this sort of similar kind of place or, you know, the, the growth and development autonomy and all that is going to slow down a little bit. I, I think it's time to really sort of reevaluate and consider. Um, but, but it like going back to that sort of decision, I think it was that, you know, sort of just saying to myself, like, okay, well, you've run the numbers now, you, you know, the things that are in your control and are not, you can always just leave. And, and that was a really sort of empowering decision because I had more data, right? <laughs> like, and I, I felt way more empowered having gone through that process. Cause if I hadn't gone through it the first time, like it, it wouldn't have been easy the se- as easy the second, nor I would have had been able to make as an informed decision. So I think in some ways the, the process of sort of going through it the first time was such a learning experience and growth experience that, that I didn't really sort of appreciate at the time that empowered me to make the choice later. I appreciate you sharing so openly, like what you felt and how that process, like what, what you were thinking as you made that decision to kind of like go back on your own word, like you had made a decision and you're like, I'm going to go back on that now. And I'm going to, I, I'm, I, yes, I am going to accept this. And I think that this is just a very real part of the journey. Like there's a very real thing that can happen anytime you quit, especially when you are someone who is valuable to the organization. Chances are, if you're quitting and they weren't quitting you, then you were valuable to them to the extent that you were still there. And so they don't really want you to go at the end of the day. Um, So yeah, they might hear you out and say, we, you know, we understand your decision, but they may not agree. And then they may do something like this. So I think there's a pretty good chance that this could happen, you know, for anybody who's getting ready to quit. And it's, and, you know, we're human at the end of the day, we're going to be curious. I feel like there was a level of curiosity there where you were wondering, like, maybe this could work. Um, but also there was a level of empowerment, like, hey, look, I'm a different person now. Like, if I notice this is not working, then I can always just step away. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let I'm not going to wait three years to make this decision. You know, it's going to happen sooner than in three years. And I think that that right there is super powerful because you can you can make that decision whenever you feel like, all right. I've learned already, this is not right, and I'm going to go in. And that's what you ended up doing. In the end, you realize it quicker, more quickly than before, and you were able to make that decision way more quickly. You already had the numbers. You already had a lot of stuff prepped. So you're like, look, I don't have to do that part again. You know, I just have to maybe make some revisions to the numbers. But aside from that, I've already had my spreadsheet. So it's literally just a few tweaks to a few cells. I'm like that far away from being able to quit again if I need to quit again. Although this time I've learned it's it, this one's for good. Like I'm actually going to make that, you know, decision uh, final and going to go through it and start trying out the next thing. I want to talk about this first year experience project because this is really important. And I think it'll take us right to where we're going to close out the conversation. I started this like very simple practice of like I call it the three part journal, but it was like very simply this like big brain dump um, where I was like getting all of the crazy like floating around and all the like you know, monkey mind, like getting that down on paper and then immediately sort of going into like things that I was like grateful for and just doing like literally like five minute brain dump, like a couple minutes of gratitude, like not much time at all. 
And then I immediately sort of launched into this, like, I've got this like triage to do list. And I explained this in the, the course that I have, but it was pretty much a way of just looking at like all the things that you have and then prioritizing them by ROI. But I got in the habit of just doing this every day. And it like, it took me from the place of like overwhelm to like controlled chaos, like way faster. Right. And it was just, it was such like a, a small, simple thing that just like, helped empower me to like sort of put everything sort of together and and to really just like kind of put fears on paper and just be like like what's the thing that's like really bothering you today right and like and it and it, and it just like it, it gave me sort of a sense of control over so much because I could just sort of like I got it all out and I was like looking and I was like oh yeah I know it. I can figure out what to do with these kind of things between that and just like some simple mindfulness stuff I just felt like I had sort of more empowered control, like more gratitude, more. And I was just approaching things with a sort of like different mindset. It could be like, okay, well, like these things suck. And like, there's, there's no, like, there's no denying, there's no whatever, but like, here's what I control for it. And also like, here's the things that are like really good in my life. And that I like, I have to be really sort of thankful for it. It was just, it was just such a, you know, such a helpful practice. And, you know, I think pivoting to the, the piece that you're asking about the, um, the FYE. Even before that, like that, that right there is super important because, you know, the, it, it, it shows that as these things happen in life, as we run into these challenges and problems, we go ahead and solve them. And what happens as a result is every now and then we're going to find a solution like really works. And we're like, I can repeat this. And this is a repeatable solution. So I'm sure what started off as like, a, I need, I need to just do something. And maybe you grabbed it from a book or somebody said it or whatever. And you're like, let me just try it out real quick and see what happens. You're like, wow, that feels really good. Let me do that again. And then over time, you know, it's like my spreadsheet, like or on version 20, you're probably on version 20 of that practice where you've already evolved it so many times. And now it's become a part of you. And you know, it's really interesting because as, as you're going to share with us, you know, that plays a role in what you do now and what you teach now. So your own life has helped you literally has brought you to this point, you know, by going through challenges. And it's one of the reasons why I think going through challenges is so important. In a way, I'm, I'm thankful for the challenges, actually, not in a way, like I completely am thankful for the challenges. And so I appreciate you sharing that because that one little bit right there, I think is important for listeners that are going through tough moments. You know, what are those small solutions that you're putting into place or can put into place? You never know what role they're going to play like five years down the road, because even something that takes just a few minutes a day could become like massively impactful after five years of practicing 10 minutes a day of that same thing over and over and over again for five years in a row. And you start to see a different outcome. So now let's talk about, now we're going to get into your, into the business that you're running today, which clearly starts from a project that you initiated, which technically went nowhere, as you told earlier, like it ended up getting voted down. So you do all this work for this project. It got voted down. So we know that part. Tell us how that project became something more in your life. When the project sort of didn't, didn't happen, you know, I think I, I knew, I, I think it's time to, you know, to sort of go, go in a different direction and sort of do, do something else. One of the things that I just like, I had this like sort of running thing in the back of my head between, you know, the, all the stuff that was sort of happening with, um, you know, with, with family and COVID and this like, you know, and watching like friends, family, like everybody was going through this like incredible, crazy thing, this like global event. Um, that was just, you know, that was, that was happening where it's just like, this is a really, you know, and, and it, I think it was a, 
accelerant for like so many trends and so many things that's just sort of changed in a real sort of assessment and sort of like thinking of, of society. So as I was sort of like having my own sort of personal experiences with that and, and trying to really sort of like figure out like an operating system that worked for me, I was sort of like having this parallel conversations with my wife, who's a psychologist and a lot of friends and just like noticing like from from the job that I had at Williams um, to the job that I later had um, at my, my, my last employer about like, there was so many people that I've like worked with or that, that I was sort of close with that had just like one or two sort of small things that like seemed like they were impediments to just like stepping into themselves or like really sort of like living the life that they, they say that they wanted. Right. And, um, and that, you know, there was a, there was a lot of, that's a lot there. Right. And sometimes it was sort of like this dissonance between their actions and, um, you know, like the things that they were saying that they, that they wanted. Other times it was just like, and this is something I've struggled with, right? Like, but imposter syndrome, right? And we all feel that, right? It's like, it's such a real thing, right? About um, not feeling like you're sort of worthy in the moment and your confidence sort of shrinking at the time that you really sort of need it most. And I've seen that so much. I, I did so much coaching of interviews and it would just break my heart because it's like incredible people um, that I was like working with and mentoring and whatever that just like wouldn't get the thing, right? Or like, we're so close, but, it, but uh, you know, I, I started to just sort of like look at this, like, how do I sort of like step back holistically and, um, you know, not just sort of solve my, my own problems, but help people sort of like level up to the, to the person that they wanted to be. And that was really this impetus for like what I, what I went with this, like this course I built called uh, 15 Days to a Better You, uh, which essentially in a nutshell is having people sort of like do the big thinking about like, what's, what's my big mission vision. And there's exercises to get you thinking there to really sort of like, think about what is my superpower? What's the thing that I'm like, I'm better at than 99% of people. And, but I, but I take for granted and we've got ways to sort of like get feedback from people on that. But then like, what do, what do I want to do? What's the imprint or the little impact that I want to, that I want to have in the world and, and helping people sort of put that together. But the next piece of it is of the course is really doing like a deep diagnostic about like, okay, this is who you are. This is the brand that I want to put out into the world, but what am I doing? Right. And there's a lot of audits in that. Um, and uh, like the, you know, of the 15 days, almost 12 of it is like this sharpening of the ax, right? It's like, it's like, you're doing these audits on your social media use and how much you're looking at and what you're looking at and what are the inputs that you have. You're doing these fierce setting exercises to really like what I was talking about before, like put these greatest things that are helping you back, like put them on paper and own them a bit. You're doing this, um, this simple sort of journaling and meditation things that are sort of just built into the, the structure of the courses. You're also doing these like deep diagnostics into um, you know, what am I consuming? What am I doing? How am I measuring these things? And then you're starting to really sort of then iterate on how am I going to hold myself accountable for making these goals, right? So I think we all know that like 15 days isn't enough time to just like completely reorient or like become the master version of you. But it is enough time for you to really sort of do a deeper diagnostic view of self and then start to just like you've, you've talked about in your work, it's just start, just start, 
right? Like who, like what is the person that you want to be? What are your daily habits? Like, how are you showing up? You don't have to figure it all out now, but what are the one to two or three things that you can build into your life right now that are going to have more ROI and how are you going to hold yourself accountable for really doing that? So that was the big sort of idea that I started kind of working through and piloting and and asking friends to test and give feedback on. And that's been a, a really fun thing to work on. That's really, I, I love that story. There's, there's so many things to unpack there. You know, one is this layer of the journey that you were on and everything you were learning, you know, since getting that dream job, going through the ups and downs of it, making a decision, then kind of going back on that decision with a better opportunity, making the decision again, and all the things you learned in between family side, professional side, all of that, you know, you were able, it's like it was all working towards building this up. Like you were, you were basically learning all the components of this. The, the first year experience project seems like, like there were elements of that, that also we're rolling up into this. And it was an opportunity for you to formalize it and actually turn it into a pitch. Sounds like in the end, you voted it up. They might have voted it down, but you voted it, your com- your new company voted it up. They're like, oh, we're taking this and we're running with this project. So I, I approve, I accept of my project and we're going to run with this. And I love it. Um, I think that, you know, that's something that's really important about things may not be great, you know, wherever we are. And, and, but it doesn't mean that there can't be something that we can take away from that experience. And we could do something, you know, we could still do something fulfilling. You know, when I was at IBM, not everything was perfect at IBM, but I found other, I found parts of IBM that were like outstandingly perfect in many ways, super fulfilling and all of that. And for me, I look at the whole, I go, look, overall, this is a great experience. Not every part of it is great, but I have found and created opportunities within. And those opportunities later in life came back to serve me where I was able to say, wow, I can draw on that experience. I can draw on those results. I can draw on the, those products and services that I built. And I can bring that into my business now, and I can bring that to help others. And so, uh, you know, you did this work for your job. You came up with this project and it didn't get voted. But in the end, I love that you voted it in and you took it and you ran with it. So tell us about your business. Like, what do you offer? What do you, what, what do you do? Who do you work with? Who's your ideal client? Just so listeners who might say, wait, I'm the ideal client. Like I need to look this up. We're going to include all the links. So don't worry about that part. That'll be in the, in the show notes. So people will be able to easily click through and anything like that. Um, but tell us a little bit about your, your course, the offerings, whatever you want to share. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much. Um, yeah. And, and the, the, the course is, I think is a, I think a good sort of insight into just some, some of the, the work we're doing. I think, you know, our, our ideal client is ideally somebody that's anywhere between sort of 25 and 45 is the sort of primary demographic that I've been, that I've been targeting, right? Somebody that's got um, some professional experience under their belt that is stepping into that next phase of life where it gets a little bit sort of messier and more complicated. And is trying to sort of like take the different things that they want to do with life and, and build this sort of more meaningful life and is, is trying to sort of build um, a, you know, a lifeboat to get there, right? And, and, and where I'm particularly, you know, useful and helpful is sort of, you know, putting some, some sort of like bigger sort of picture data and diagnostics on how are we going to sort of like assess if you're going to sort of be, you know, be going in the direction that you want to, how are you showing up holistically for yourself? And what's the, what's the sort of game plan to really sort of get there? And how are you going to hold yourself accountable to that? 
Um, so that's a little bit about what I've been sort of working on. And, and that is so different for everybody. We, we talked about this in the, in the pre-call, you know, a bit. And, you know, for some people, it is you know, really a matter of like, you know, hey, I, I, this job is not forever. Um, but if I, if I step into this other area of the business, right, if I, if I get some business, I was having a great conversation with um, somebody the other day. It was just like, you know, long term. I don't see myself in this sort of like corporate space or corporate sphere. It's not for me, but I really think I need some business development experience because I'm really sort of weak in these areas and I'm scared of this, but I'm going to sort of run towards it because I know this is going to serve me so much more in terms of what I want to do. And I was just like, yes, that's it. like, that's, that's for you. That is exactly what you want to do. Right? Like, like that's the move that you feel really good about right now. And it's not this sort of like forever thing, but two years of that, like with this other incredible experience that you've accumulated, that is going to, that is going to be the step for you to sort of do the next kind of thing. So then we started to talk about like, what are the baby steps that you can take right now to start to take on more clients in this other, this other space that you've done? And, and how can we start to really sort of position yourself for that? He's got this like incredible UX background um, and it's, it worked for like some really big startups in New York. Um, and, it's, and it's kind of in this sort of space of like, okay, like how do I, how do I build more lead gen and how do I sort of get more sort of customers in this sort of space? Um, but, as he, but, he, but he knows he's got this sort of bigger area that is sort of, you know, missing that, that he went for. Um, the other example I was thinking of that I was talking to you about a, a friend that has this great job in, in tech and has, you know, I think like me, sort of head down, really sort of focused on, on building career and, you know, climbing the ladder and building experience and all these things. But he knows that there's a bigger pivot coming. And he's not sort of sure where, but his, his passion project that he's just sort of found is like woodworking, just loves woodworking. And it's just like great thing. And eventually it's going to become a bit of an income stream. and and likely not ever be the thing, but it will be part of the thing, right? And it brings so much fulfillment and joy for him that it's like, yeah, keep running towards this and keep keep doing it and keep doing like and and it was like sort of a matter of sort of working with him about like, okay, what's the the long term thinking and plans and what's the baby steps that we can sort of make about like how can we sort of build this side brand and sort of decouple it from what you're doing professionally since you've got some anxieties about how that would sort of look for your, for your existing company and everything like that. So I think it's a matter of like helping people find and connect with the things that sort of bring joy and that make for a more holistic, well-lived life. At the same time, really sort of position yourself so that you're looking holistically at this dashboard and you're able to sort of feel pretty good about the indicators and the sort of future trajectory of, of where you're going. It's so hard, right? Like, like I have so much empathy for people going through this process because it's just layered and it's like, and there's, there's no easy answers and you're going to fail. Like, and you're going to, like, you're going to fall on your face and you're going to like have, you're going to put pitches out. You're going to try things and they're, they're not going to work. But those data points that you're getting like are going to be so valuable in the long term. And it's so helpful to have somebody sort of like hold at the mirror and reflect that for yourself. Um, and that's been like for me, it's been just a, a great blessing to have, um, you know, throughout the last few years that 
I, I try to sort of like be that through courses and other things to, to other people. One thing that we've heard people say a lot is that saying, you know, follow your passions or do what you love and you'll never work a day of your life. And, and then people now saying like, oh, that's the worst business advice you can give anybody and all of that. Now, one of the things that I found in those two statements um, that are pretty much opposite are that it is based on one really important assumption is that making the most money is the goal. And, you know, one thing that I have found just on my own journey to reinvention is that where I've made the most money has not always been where I've drawn the most fulfillment. And I didn't always need to make the most money. And I'm hearing this now from a lot of content creators out there, you know, who are very publicly, I mean, you can look it up on YouTube in some of their episodes and videos that they're making, they're starting to talk about retiring from what they're doing, that it wasn't that they, they thought like, oh, you know, this is, I'm going to go do what I, what I love, but I realized that I started chasing money and then it became too much about the money. And now they really don't want it to be as big. And this whole idea, like I want to go, the reason I say this is because you gave that woodworking example where you had your friend who's, you know, getting into woodworking and it doesn't make money today, um, but you're encouraging him to still continue. And honestly, like, I think that it doesn't even matter if it ever will really make a lot or not. Maybe he'll realize like, you know, I don't need it to make a lot. Actually, <laughs> I could live off this and be the happiest guy in the world doing this every single day, the little bit that I'm making. And not everything that you're in love with will turn into that money making opportunity right away. Um, it could take a lot of years and there will and there could be a cap on it. So, yes, the advice is right. And in, in some ways, but I think that one thing that we have to also consider is what role does that money does money play in that? Because some people say like, hey, do you know, like the people who are now saying like that the opposite is true, that no, don't go after your passions, go after what is what will generate the most amount of money for you. And then you can dabble in your passions and do those things for fun. Uh, it's like, okay, well, I mean, again, like, that's assuming that making the most amount of money is the absolute goal. But if it's not, it's like, hey, look, this woodworking thing, I would like, I'd love your advice. Keep on doing it. I mean, do what you got to do also to pay the bills and all that, but keep on doing it. Don't. So when you talk about failures, I think to myself, well, what, what would constitute a failure? I suppose if I decided that woodworking has to make me a fortune, that I have to be able to exit my woodworking business for a billion dollars, I must be a unicorn in woodworking, <laughs> then yeah, uh, I guess I'm a failure, like in all that. Or, you know, if you set a different metric for that, for that activity, you know, like, look, I just want to do something that really fires me up and helps me express my creativity a little bit every single week. Every week, I want to be able to do this massive success. Then boom, I'm, maybe you do it even more than once a week. So then, hey, you just doubled your success. You just two X it or three X it or four X it if you do it more times a week. So it really comes down to like, so I'm not even sure there's too many failures. I think a lot depends on like how you, what metric you set for it. If money is the only metric, then yes, only some things will be a success. The majority will be a failure. But if you have other metrics for success, like, no, I just do this because I love tutoring math. I love working with math students. I recently went back to working with a math student. I don't need that income. It absolutely, you know, gets in the day, it gets a little bit in the way, 
but it doesn't matter because I love doing it. So I want to do this thing. Like this is something I just enjoy doing it. The metric for success there is not that I'm going to like add a new revenue stream from tutoring. No, it's that it's that I get to do this thing that I really love and express this passion for math that I have, like in teaching math. And I get to do it again after so long. I, I, it's been years since I've tutored, so I'm really excited to be back to it. So I think that a lot depends on what metric we set and failure is so different um, in that case. And it could be constructive. It could still be good. Even if the money part didn't work out, the fulfillment part could have worked out. And so by the way, I just had to say, like, you know, I asked you to like pitch your products and I love how you were just like, let me teach a lesson right now <laughs> and give value and all of that. And I love that because I hear I'm the same way. Like people give me an opportunity or a platform to like sell something that I'm offering or whatever it is. And I go right into like teaching mode and I'm like, oh, damn, I never said like, you know, whatever I needed to say in order to pitch it. But don't worry. In the end, like I said to everyone earlier, we're going to have it in the show notes. You'll be able to see it right below. All the links will be there. Um, if somebody wants to engage with you right away, what's the first thing they should do? Is there a product they should buy right away? Is there an action they should take? Is there a, What's the first thing that they can engage with you on? Yeah, it's really up to them. Um, that you'll, you'll, see the, you'll see the course and, and what it's all about. I think it's worth, sort of worth looking at. Um, if for whatever reason that's not meeting me, it's, feel free to email me. And you'll see it in the show notes. Might at, Mike at the actualized self. Um, uh, the hyphen actualized hyphen self.com um willing to talk to anybody willing to hop on a call um love love doing that um and just sort of see if, if i'm a fit and you know there's, there's been people i've worked with where i was just like you know this specialty that you're looking at or this kind of thing I, i'm not the best person and i'm really sort of transparent with that um but for the most part i think i'm um i'm a i'm sort of pretty good person um to sort of just kind of get started and and help you sort of like think through some of these different different diagnostics. So I think check out check out the course, check out a little bit more of my work, and then if it's um, if it's a fit, please reach out. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time for sharing your story so openly. All right, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.